You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Vancouver Fire Rescue is taking action against an SRO after responding more than 500 times last year to calls at that one building alone. The eye-opening stat tweeted and then later deleted by the fire department highlights how those calls take up a huge amount of time and resources. But as Kamal Kuramali reports, attempts to find the building operators are sure to be controversial. Many of the residents of Hotel Canada already facing some major challenges. Now they're also having to deal with a lack of sleep. It's very annoying because you can't get the sleep when you need. The smoke alarms go off so often at the single room occupancy building. Seriously, like nightly. Yeah, like three times a night, some often, often. For Chris Holmes, it's impossible to get any shut-eye. That's uh, a lot of false alarms. Yeah. Um, What's it like living there? Terrible. Tenants say the false alarms are often triggered by cigarette and drug smoke. It's pipes, it's pipes, and they're blowing it right in the smoke sectors. Vancouver Fire and Rescue Services tweeting a shocking statistic. In 2022, we responded to a single SRO 504 times for various emergency calls. 300 of those calls were for smoking cigarettes or drugs. It's currently billing the building for each false alarm, prosecuting this building, as well as multiple other SROs for fire bylaw offenses. That tweet has since been deleted. On Wednesday, multiple interview requests to Vancouver Fire and Rescue were ignored. Global News has learned the tweet was taken down after pressure from City Hall, which is concerned about maintaining a relationship with SRO operators. Now this SRO is operated by Atira, and the property management company says all of their buildings are non-smoking, and their only recourse is to evict people. Which means more people on the streets, which leads to more disorder and more problems down the road. The province, unaware of any billings or prosecutions so far put forward by Vancouver Fire and Rescue, just informed of another possible cause to the constant fire alarms. I've been made aware that in this situation that there was a glitch, but I also do understand that in some cases that it is related to people smoking in units when they are not supposed to be uh, smoking in units. Adding fire and rescue services is working with the alarm provider to fix the glitch. Not soon enough for many residents still living with this waking nightmare. Kamal Karamali, Global News. For decades, the conditions inside the dilapidated single-room occupancy hotels on Vancouver's downtown east side have been a source of shame. And despite years of government spending and action plans, they simply are not getting any better. Tonight, one SRO resident is coming forward to share the brutal truth about what it's like to live there. A warning, though, much of it is disturbing. Krista Dow reports. I don't know how people are supposed to live here. The conditions here are appalling. This just one of six bathrooms at the Sakura single occupancy I mean, building. The stench is just awful. The bathrooms are in such a disgusting state, like you wouldn't even want your dog to use them. Joshua Coyne has lived here for three years. He says the 38 unit building has seen its fair share of neglect, but recently it's gotten much worse to the point it's uninhabitable showing us just how filthy the communal spaces are after repeated calls for maintenance and cleanup were ignored. I did call you guys, didn't I get you to clean this one, but I didn't really get a response. Well, I've made it aware. Unsanitary, unsafe conditions. There's a lot of people that can't 
really take care of themselves in this area and they depend on places like the Lookout Society to take care of things for them and it's not being done. We reached out multiple times to Lookout Housing and Health Society who manages the building but haven't received a response. When asked about the unacceptable conditions, BC's housing minister says it will be investigated, stopping short of suggesting any possible penalties to the operator. That's what BC Housing will do. They'll go in, they'll talk to this provider, make sure that they're cleaning this place up and making sure that it's livable for people. It's cleaner for me to sleep right here on the street, right there, than it is in that building. You would rather live outside? I would live right there legitimately because it's cleaner. While management couldn't be reached, staff inside were clearly frustrated and raised concerns about understaffing. The conditions in here are deplorable. I so know. We're just... I, I, you want to see pictures? I got plenty of pictures. I'll sell them. Oh, why are you getting all messy? It's not a big deal. It's really ridiculous. I've been in every bathroom and seen every piece. Okay. Filled up to the you think you're angry? Yeah. The exchange reaching a boiling point, and we were not so politely asked to leave. Get the f out of here, okay? Get out of here. Don't touch my shit, man. That's a problem if you're doing that. And I got it on camera right here. Okay, well, get the f out of here. I'm leaving. Krista Dow, Global News. Well, police are investigating another shooting in Surrey. Just after 5 a.m., RCMP were called to a home well known to them in the 10600 block of 138th Street in Wally. There were multiple people in the home when it was hit by bullets, but police say no injuries were reported. Investigators say the shooting was targeted and they're now trying to determine a motive. If you have any information about this incident, you're asked to contact Surrey RCMP. Penticton RCMP have now released the name of the victim of a stabbing on December 17th in the hopes of getting tips from the public. 61-year-old Tajinder Singh Randawa was stabbed in a parking lot while he sat in his vehicle. Police say he was approached by a man who later ran off. Randawa was initially expected to survive but later succumbed to his injuries. It's now a homicide investigation and anyone with information is asked to contact Penticton RCMP. The public is still waiting to see a report with far-reaching implications for our justice system. It concerns a practice by homicide investigators who held on to evidence despite provisions in the criminal code. As Attorney General David Eby ordered an independent report into the practice, but as Romina Dea reports, that report is still not released publicly. It's been almost two years since Deep Gill was set free. The public still in the dark about what happened in this case and the impact the Gill decision could have on hundreds of other homicide files. It's my understanding there are a significant number of cases uh, involved here uh, and uh, they will be working their way through the justice system. In March 2021, Gill was acquitted of second degree murder and attempted murder in connection to a deadly road rage shooting involving an innocent newlywed couple in Surrey 12 years ago. 30-year-old Manbir Kajla was killed. His new bride survived. You hear him put two bullets into my brother's heart. Alleged audio of the shooting captured on a cell phone deemed inadmissible because IHIT ignored Section 490 of the Criminal Code and held the evidence unlawfully for years. This is bigger than my brother. This is about a lot of criminals getting off scot-free for a mistake or an insight, whatever IHIT chose not to do. The IHIT policy of non-compliance amounts to systemic 
flagrant disregard for charter-protected rights, ruled Justice Masuhara. We know that uh, in at least one other homicide investigation, the cell phone seizure evidence was lost. Senior criminal lawyer Ravi Hira says the courts are seeing more 490 applications. He says it's up to the Attorney General whether to release the special report into the Gill matter and others. In good democracies, providing information to the public is always a good thing. However, you also have to be mindful that investigations have to be protected. Any information the provincial government uh, has on this that we can release, we will. Despite the BC Prosecution Service's conclusion that an appeal in the Gill matter would not be successful, Eby, who was Attorney General at the time, disagreed. The appeal was heard two months ago. The judge's decision reserved. It's unclear when it will be handed down. Romina Dea, Global News. Housing affordability, especially for first-time buyers, has been a major focus of a series of government funding announcements. But you might be surprised to learn the threshold for the provincial first-time buyer's incentive hasn't increased since 2017. As Richard Zussman reports, it remains at $500,000, and there's almost nothing on the market that would qualify. <laughs> Very few things keep up with housing costs across British Columbia. One thing... The homeowners grant. Right now we know we're in a real challenging spot that people are facing enormous costs with inflation. But are these the right people? Last year homes valued at $1.975 million or higher qualified for the grant of about $570 for most people. This year, the threshold climbing to houses worth more than $2.1 million. The grant going to 92% of BC homeowners. If we want to be creative, I think the right thing to do is transfer money to people who need money. So low-income seniors can already defer their property taxes. UBC housing economist Tom Davidoff suggesting the $1 billion paid out a year in grants should go to renters. Renters need money more than homeowners do. There's also a suggestion on the table to provide a broad means testing for the grant, ending the homeowner's grant. You would take all of that money uh, and convert it into an income-tested housing grant that would go to homeowners or renters alike. And while the homeowner's grant keeps track with increases, the exemption on property transfer taxes for new home buyers doesn't. It's one of those formulas that unfortunately as we're seeing the government collect record levels of property transfer tax uh, far and exceeding what they're budgeting for. To not bring any extra relief uh, to first-time home buyers uh, really does create a problem. Currently, the provincial grant is only eligible for first-time home buyers who buy a home for $500,000 or less. Right now in Vancouver, almost 2,300 properties are for sale. Just 44 of them under the threshold, 1.9%. Or in Surrey, 1,800 properties for sale, 185 are under half a million, around 10%. Very few options for buyers to qualify. We're going to continue to look through all the proposals that are coming forward and we'll have more to say that in the coming uh, weeks and months ahead. Yet another addition to the government's growing to-do list to address growing housing and affordability. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria.
Probably not a surprise given all that information. Residential home sales decreased over 30% last year as the housing market saw a year of caution from home buyers. The Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver says almost 29,000 homes were sold in Greater Vancouver, a decrease of 15,000 compared to the previous year. The board says the reason for the dip is partially due to inflation and the Bank of Canada continuing to increase interest rates. Home listings also decreased by around 13% and with limited supply, prices are down just over 3%. Well, the latest concerning strain of COVID-19 is starting to spread in this province. Cases of XBB.1.5, a subvariant of Omicron, are rising in the U.S. and B.C. officials are watching it closely. Keith Baldry joins us live from Victoria with more on this. How many cases are we seeing so far in B.C., Keith? Not a lot, but they are growing. It was five on Monday, 12 today, announced by the Center for Disease Control of the Kraken variant. That's its nickname. Uh, no surprise, again, 40% of the cases in the United States last week was this new variant, and 75% of the cases in the Northeast, particularly New York City, is also this variant. So it's inevitable, according to the Health Minister Adrian Dix. We're going to see more and more of cases of this. It's a little early to read too much into what we're seeing, but we're going to be basically on pace with other jurisdictions to see the rise of this new variant in BC. Here's the Minister. The concern about this uh, subvariant of the many subvariants of COVID-19 is um, the likelihood that it may spread more easily. Uh, not that it's more severe in individual cases, but that it will spread more easily, and that's a concern. And the response to that concern is the same response that people should get vaccinated. So again, to underscore the need for vaccinations, people, most people are getting their, their boosters now, but it uh, depends on how old you are in terms of how high the vaccination rate. For those over 70, it's about 72% vaccination rate with at least three or four doses. But as you get younger, the vaccination drops, particularly amongst 30-year-olds and 20-year-olds. So the, the rule now, or not the rule, but the advice now is get that booster dose if you qualify for it because there's a new variant here. As the minister says, it's more transmissible. It's not more serious, but if you get COVID, it can still be a serious case. We've got almost 400 people in hospital with COVID-19, and those are people who are seriously ill, and a number of them have yet to get their boosters. All right, thanks for that, Keith. A delivery driver caught on camera doing a very poor job of parking. He backs right into a resident's car, but what happened next might be even more shocking. That's coming up in just over a minute. An epic matchup at the World Juniors with Canada playing catch-up later in sports. Plus, smooth sailing for a Victoria pickleboat captain heading off into retirement. Toot toot indeed. <laughs> but first, though, a young man in Anmore wants answers from UPS after a delivery truck backed into his car while it was sitting in his own driveway. It happened almost a month ago, and despite the fact he has surveillance video of what happened, He's stuck without wheels and waiting for someone to set things right. Grace Key reports. Trevor Matthews has been without a car since early December after a UPS truck backed into his parked car. He made a claim with ICBC. He doesn't have collision and is waiting for a response from UPS. I think UPS is holding the bag here and they have a responsibility to do what's right to get my car 
on its way. Trevor even has video of the entire incident that he forwarded to ICBC and UPS. You see the truck back into his car. The driver gets out, goes up to the house and rings the doorbell. Trevor's father eventually answers and the driver asks about another address. My dad's standing at the porch. He's like, oh yeah, no, that's the address across the street. And the driver goes, oh, okay, gets back in his truck, drives away. Trevor has contacted UPS on multiple occasions. He got a case number and was told various people would be reaching out, but that hasn't happened. 16th, the driver was supposed to contact you, but never yep. did. They said somebody from their quote-unquote insurance department would call me in an hour. They didn't. I called them back in an hour, after, like two hours after. I am out of my car. I can't drive my car. I can't, I can't go to work. Um, you know, I need to be able to drive downtown. I'm surprised that there's not just a department of people at UPS that can process insurance claims. Like, if, if someone hit a UPS truck, I'm, I'm sure that they would deal with it immediately. UPS did respond to our request for a comment, but said they needed more time to gather information. Grace Key, Global News. The family of a little girl who was allegedly bitten by black bears at the Greater Vancouver Zoo in 2019 is suing the zoo. According to a notice of civil claim filed in B.C. Supreme Court, the two-year-old put her arm through the enclosure's fence and was mauled by the bears, suffering serious injuries to her arm and hand. The family is claiming the bears and the fence were a hazard and the zoo was negligent. But the zoo says the incident happened in an area that isn't supposed to be open to the public. None of the claims have been tested so far in court. Coming up, the 911 calls that never should have happened. There are times where maybe somebody says, oh, it's not an emergency. From car wash queue jumpers to noisy kids, the complaints keeping Ecom from dealing with real emergencies. Also ahead, the changes coming to rewards programs that might make you feel a little less loyal. Good evening. Crews are on scene to a bad crash here in Burnaby that has eastbound traffic blocked on Canada Way at Imperial and being detoured. When renewing your ICBC Auto Plan insurance online, select your nearest Sussex Insurance when prompted. For all online broker benefits, peace of mind, and best rates, select Sussex Insurance today. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a multi-vehicle accident in Burnaby. They'd be laughable if they didn't put lives at risk. Ecom, which handles 99% of BC's 911 calls, has put out its list of the top nuisance calls for 2022. Emily Lazatin now with more on why people should think twice before deciding to dial. Most of us know we should only call 911 in an emergency, but according to Ecom, there were a lot of nuisance calls in 2022. And while some might make you laugh, a lot of these ridiculous calls tie up police, fire and ambulance resources and could potentially put lives at risk. Last year, British Columbians called 911 more than 2.1 million times, marking the busiest year in Ecom's history. And despite the known fact, emergency services are overwhelmed with calls that didn't stop people from calling 911 for less than critical reasons. For instance, your phone stuck in a bench or a broken windshield wiper is not a reason to call 911. And here are the top five calls that really weren't so necessary. Coming in at number five, someone was using their garbage bin. Number four, someone wasn't picking up after their dog. And here are your top three, people playing basketball at night, someone had a flat tire, and the number one nuisance call, their nozzle wasn't working at a gas station. Sometimes when people don't 
think about what they're calling, it can have quite an impact and delay response for people who do need immediate help. Nuisance calls are taken seriously, even if it seems silly. And so it appears some people still need a reminder on what constitutes an emergency. When somebody's having a life or death emergency, obviously that's something that we want to have people calling in right away for. However, there are times where maybe somebody says, oh, it's not an emergency, but but when something like that happens, that's when our training comes in where we're supposed to ask the appropriate questions to make sure what is happening. And sometimes people might downplay what it is and it turns out to be an emergency. New year, new resolution. Ecom is asking British Columbians to protect the province's emergency resources by keeping 911 lines free for police, fire and ambulance emergencies. Emily Lazatin, Global News. Well, starting next month, big changes are coming to the loyalty programs of Canada's two major coffee chains. That's right. You'll have to spend more at both Tim Hortons and Starbucks to redeem points for free items. Consumer Matters reporter Andrew is here on the Double Double with the latest, Dan. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. <laughs> the move comes amid rising inflation. For the most part, will make it harder for customers to earn and redeem the points needed to get free drinks. Tim Hortons is switching from a points per visit to a new revenue-based rewards model. The Canadian coffee and donut chain says it will be more rewarding for families, while critics argue those who only buy a single coffee or can't afford to spend more will likely lose out. Now, under the current program, Tim's Rewards members earn 10 points per visit or purchase regardless of how much money is spent. But starting February 21st, they'll earn 10 points for every dollar spent, meaning those who spend more will earn more. Right now, seven visits will get you 70 points, enough for a free coffee. Under the new earn and redemption rate, you'll have to spend $40 to get the 400 points required for a free coffee. Whereas before, if you just went and bought that coffee for $2 a piece, seven visits, you know, you're looking $14, $15. So, so a huge jump there for the people who don't spend very much at Tim's. Uh, on the other hand, for those who do that, do spend more at Tim's, and that, that break point is $5.72 to be exact. Uh, if you're below that, you're going to do worse off in the new, in the new program. And if you spend more than $5.72 per visit, you're going to do better. So, you know, for the most part, I think a lot of people are not happy with the changes because it will cost them more to get that free coffee because a lot of people are just going to get one coffee, one donut. Also starting February 13th, Starbucks is increasing the number of stars required to get a free handcrafted beverage like a latte or frappuccino to 200 points from the current 150. Free coffee, tea, bakery items or packaged snacks will require 100 stars, double the current 50. One positive change, however, iced coffee and iced tea will be available for only 100 stars, down from the current 150. Rewards members will still receive one star for every dollar spent at Starbucks or two stars for every dollar using a preloaded digital or physical Starbucks card. So will this become a trend? Well, Patrick Stoika from Rewards Canada says the changes made by the two giant coffee chains are the big ones, but he predicts a few hotel rewards programs and some in the travel industry may also change their points requirements this year, while other retailers will take a wait-and-see approach, keeping an eye on inflation and whether we enter into a recession. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, thanks, Anne. Just ahead, more benefits of breastfeeding. We understand that breastfeeding is one of the most impactful things. How mother's milk could help lower the risk of asthma. 
And later, fixing the big hole in the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge, the repair plan, and how it'll impact traffic. Good evening. Traffic is steady in both directions tonight over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge with just a bit of leftover volume on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve. Today's Lotto 649 Gold Ball jackpot is $46 million, plus the classic $5 million jackpot, two jackpots on every draw. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Well, the push is on to bring in tighter regulations for social workers in B.C. Advocates looking for the creation of a college to oversee the profession. As Megan Turcato shows us, the call comes after the case of Robert Riley Saunders, who stole hundreds of thousands of dollars from the province, all in the name of children in his care. It's a public safety issue. The BC Association of Social Workers calling for the province to make registering with the regulatory college mandatory for all social workers. Right now, it's voluntary for many, including those employed by the Provincial Ministry of Children and Family Development or the federal government. When people are seeking help and they sit down in front of a person that refers to themselves as a social worker, they currently have no guarantee that that person has social work education. They have no guarantee that if they have concerns about that person's practice, that they can, re they can refer their complaint to a regulatory college. The Professional Association believes mandatory professional college registration could help head off cases like that of Kelowna's Robert Riley Saunders. The former MCFD social worker was sentenced to five years for defrauding the province using joint bank accounts he set up with young people he was supposed to be caring for. BC government hired Mr. Saunders uh, and he was using uh, a faked uh, university credential. The college wouldn't have accepted his uh, degree out of his hand. The wellness manager for the Okanagan Nation Alliance, who has been outspoken on the Saunders case, agrees the proposed change could provide more accountability, but says a bigger shift is needed. The answer, in my view, for Okanagan people in our own territory is for us to do our own work. We have extremely high standards of care for our children. We have extremely um, stringent practices and, and protocols that we use. In a statement, the Ministry of Children and Family Development said it is committed to ensuring ethical and competent social work in the province and has launched a broad public engagement on the oversight of all social workers in B.C. That public consultation is about to wrap up and those in favour of mandatory professional college registration are hoping it leads to change. Megan Turcato, Global News, Vernon. Another potential benefit of breastfeeding. New research out of BC Children's Hospital shows it substantially protects the gut health of babies, particularly when they have to be treated with antibiotics. As Aaron MacArthur reports, that might give babies a better defense against developing asthma. While research has been consistent for decades, pinpointing why breastfeeding is so beneficial for babies has been more challenging. Using a data set from a study of 3,500 kids, researchers at BC Children's Hospital have zeroed in on one key finding. The asthma risk in breastfed babies who need antibiotics is significantly lower. Researchers believe that's due to beneficial bacteria in the infant's gut. Our study found a group of uh, uh, sugars and nutrients in the breast milk, which is not digestible by babies, but actually can support the colonization of a specific uh, beneficial bacteria. The research has been published in the journal Med. 
It shows about 20% of carbohydrates in breast milk are indigestible by infants. So we want to support breastfeeding. Instead, those sugars are used by a subspecies of the bacteria B. longum infantis to reproduce. This healthy bacteria grows and creates long-term health benefits, such as the reduced risk for asthma. Number one reason children come to BC Children's Hospital is because, because of asthma, and so we think this knowledge will help reduce that burden of asthma in the future. Other research has shown there isn't much difference between bottle-fed and breastfed infants in terms of overall asthma risk, but that changes when babies need to be given antibiotics in the first year of life. Infants that aren't breastfed while taking antibiotics are three times more at risk of developing asthma. The research could lead to prebiotic treatments for infants who aren't breastfed. And so our hope is that we can now take those sugars and supplement infants with those sugars themselves in order to sort of afford the same protection against asthma even when they can't be breastfed. This discovery, and this one's the last one, okay, could be a simple way to prevent a condition which affects an estimated one in seven kids worldwide. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Still to come tonight, the pickle boat captain who learned on the job. I'd never been on a boat. Um, let alone understood what to do with a boat. How he built his beloved fleet and his many tales from the high seas of Victoria's Harbor. And just ahead, when winter hits a little too hard, the BC ski lift frozen solid and going nowhere. From the stories that touch us all to the events happening all around us, when BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. Here's a warning. It might be a bit of a slow go if you have to cross the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge to get from the North Shore overnight, and here's why. The southbound center and right lanes will be closed from 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. to repair a giant hole that's been covered up for the past few days by that metal plate. A new larger plate will be installed until work is completed. Repairs are expected to sev uh, take several nights. Crews have set up scaffolding to work on the underside of the 62-year-old bridge. Some drivers have described the temporary metal plate as a speed bump, while others call the protruding bolts from the plate a safety hazard. Certainly didn't look like something you wanted to drive over, especially no. the protruding bolts. Okay, we'll bring Christy in now for a look at the midweek weather and, and mm -hmm. how it's going to get kind of windy, it sounds like. Absolutely. So we've got a major storm that's barreling down. By the way, I have driven over that uh, pothole cover, and it is a little bit of a shock to the system. The whole car goes... Ugh. Uh, okay, so this is a major system that's moving towards the coast. It was at one point being dubbed as a bomb cyclone. It intensified very rapidly. It is hurricane strength at this point, making its way towards the BC and US coast. Now, the hardest or the strongest winds will be along the US coast where those areas could see wind gusts in excess of 150 kilometers an hour. So we're talking about hurricane strength winds. Not the case for our region, although very strong. So we have wind warnings in place right now 
now, particularly for the outer coast of Vancouver Island and northern regions where gusts could reach 100 kilometers an hour. The inner coast, including the Victoria region, 90 kilometers an hour. And for our region, 70 to 80 kilometers, <clears throat> excuse me, kilometers an hour. So definitely power outages are expected. Timeline, here's a look. So it is currently offshore. We're going to see incredible swells and winds along any coastal regions. So uh, a heads up to any um, mariners out there. And it moves towards our region tomorrow. So the wind's really picking up along the outer coast sort of in the morning and for the inner coast in the afternoon. And we'll continue to see the strong winds tomorrow evening and overnight before it begins to die down. We're already seeing strong outflow winds ahead of that system, this easterly flow with strong wind gusts in through house Sound, gusting up to 80 kilometers an hour. And we're expecting that to continue tomorrow. And then this opens the floodgates to a train of uh, rainstorms, basically. For the next 10 days, we are going to see one system after another. There is not going to be much of a break. So today was certainly a nice break. Snow for inland regions tomorrow, but heavy rain. However, south coast regions, it is going to be spotty. We'll see some breaks in the clouds, but periods of rain expected. The strongest winds, though, along the outer coast, inner coast, though, gusts up to 90 kilometers an hour, particularly later tomorrow. And it's really the winds tomorrow that we're concerned about mostly. And then beyond that, as I mentioned, it's sort of one thing after another. We are expecting to continue with wet conditions as a series of storms move on shore. One of our very strong uh, weather watchers was down south in Oregon, and he captured this video from today. This is ahead of the system as it's starting to make its way in. Incredible uh, swells. They're also having the potential of flooding in that region. So we'll be watching that very closely over the next 24 mm -hmm. hours. I'm oh, sure. All right, thanks, Christy. Well, Big White Ski Resort is dealing with a bit of a surprising problem. Maybe a little bit, little bit too much winter weather encasing one of the lifts in ice. Yeah, it looks beautiful, but it has frozen the Falcon chairlift, preventing it from operating. The resort says three of their crew members were able to clear ice off the top three towers and the bull wheel after several hours of work, but they say a lot more work needs to be done before the lift can actually start running again. It's amazing. I mean, you do want snow and... You want it to be cold, yeah. you want lots of snow, but that's fluffy powder. Exactly. Would be perfect. That's a bit much. All right, Squire is here now with a look ahead to sports. Squire? Yes, we'll show you what happened between Canada and the U.S. at the World Junior Hockey Championships, and it's all good. And uh, Bruce Boudreaux, his biggest challenge these days is keeping the Canuck players engaged and believing that they can win consistently. I hope the spirit is determination and not uh, uh-oh type, type of scenario. Last night was uh-oh. The Canucks literally and figuratively gave the game away against the Islanders, their third straight loss. Also coming up later, a fixture of Victoria's Harbour Ferries sails into retirement. Such an exciting time for hockey fans. It looked a little dicey in that uh, World Juniors game early on. but Bit of a rough start for Canada, but they yeah. got it together. Yeah, that's good. So it's like bad news, good news. Mm -hmm. I'll start with the bad news. I'll talk about the Canucks <laughs> first, and I'll get to Team Canada. 
Uh, the Vancouver Canucks have one of the most expensive rosters in the NHL. I know it's hard to believe, but they do. And they do have some very good individual players. But collectively, there is something wrong with this team, and there has been for a while. It's like, it's like having a closet full of really beautiful and expensive suits, but none of them fit you. This core group didn't win for Travis Green, and this year they aren't winning for Bruce Boudreaux. Two completely different coaching philosophies, and neither has worked with this group of players. And last night was just further proof. After going on a three-game win streak to get above 500 for the first time this season, the Canucks have lost three straights and are now two games below 500. And the team is running out of answers to fix the problems. Yeah, obviously, that has to be up or it's just, I don't know, just got to be better. It's hard to believe that this is the same group that went 32, 15, and 10 after Bruce Boudreaux took over last season when they earned 74 points in 57 games. We were doing so many good things last year when you know we were on that run, but um, you know I think we got to focus on the little details right now. You know I think if you, you start doing those details right, and then you know, things are going to start heading in the right direction, and we're going to be playing a lot better. One of those finer details was highlighted in their last game against the Islanders when the Canucks managed just three blocked shots. While the players may have been slow to get in the way of the puck, coach Bruce Boudreaux was quick to block his team from the blame. Bottom line is it's on me if they're not doing what I want them to do. Like I said, it's on me to implement that if they don't, then uh, I got to make them find a way to do it. I mean, it was my job to find out what makes them tick and what, what can go, and it's up to me to... Uh, to make these guys more accountable. It's my job to make sure to make them believe that they can win the game. Because if you don't believe that you can win the game, you can never win the game. Keeping the faith when everyone else is losing it sounds like something out of a hit show. See, I believe in hope. I believe in belief. The Canucks coach has shown that he'll do whatever it takes to motivate this team because he isn't giving up hope. If I start believing that they're not willing to do the, the things, then... I'm losing my belief in the in the players, and I don't ever do that. Okay, the silver lining is if the Canucks stay in the lower portions of the overall standings, they will get a ticket in the Connor Bedard lottery. If the season ended right now, the Vancouver Canucks would have a 6% chance of winning the draft lottery and getting the hometown prodigy. But lotteries in the Canucks really don't get along. And tonight, Bedard was part of another big win by the Canadians at the World Juniors. And another big part of it was that man, Thomas Millich of Coquitlam, was huge in goal. And the Americans got off to a fast start. They had the first nine shots on goal in this game, and they scored the first two goals. Logan Cooley gets that one to make it 1-0. Then it was 2-0. Then Connor Bedard scores to make it 2-1 in the first period. And that got the Canadians going. Another BC boy, Kamloops' Logan Stan Coven, who's played great in this tournament, scores there to make it 2-2. Back to yet another BC boy, Thomas Millage. We need a big save. He provides one. He made a lot of saves in the second period. Canada finally takes the lead on Adam Vantilli's goal. Nice play. 3-2 for the Canadians. Now, the United States had this goal disallowed. I kind of think they were ripped off here. It was called goaltending interference. They actually had two goals in this game disallowed. The Americans did. Canada capitalizes on that. They won the challenge on that goal. 
and then they score the next one. Joshua Waugh from Stan Coven and Bedard makes it four to two. Look at Millage gets a bit of a bad break there off the end boards, but comes out in front and makes another save. He was the player of the game for Canada. Brant Clark is going to make it five to two. The Canadians would get an empty netter. And it'll be Canada and Czechia in the final tomorrow at 3.30. The Czechs knocked off the Swedes 2-1 in overtime after scoring a goal to tie it in the final minute. Okay, there is some good news regarding the condition of Buffalo Bills defensive back DeMar Hamlin. Hospital officials say he is showing signs of improvement from the cardiac arrest he suffered on Monday. But they still caution that he remains in critical condition. His agent told ESPN that his oxygen levels have improved. There's still no word on when the NFL and if the NFL will finish up the Bills-Bengals game from Monday night. There you go. All right. Good to have a little bit of positive news. Thanks, Absolutely. Squire. Absolutely. Okay, just ahead, a man who anchored the Pickleboat Ferry Service in Victoria, now ready to stay a little closer to port. That's it. Armstrong standing by now with a preview of what's coming up tonight on Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, one of the North Shore mayors is speaking out tonight saying he is very concerned about the state of repair of the Ironworkers Memorial Bridge. As we've been telling you, there will be lane closures overnight, so a hole in the bridge deck can be repaired. The government keeps calling it a pothole, but given the amount of scaffolding and activity beneath the span, that seems to be downplaying it. District of North Vancouver Mayor Mike Little says the bridge is not meeting current needs. His message for the BC government tonight on Global News at 11. Sophie? All right, thanks for that, Jordan. Well, we know you've seen them. Pickle boats are a fixture in Victoria's Inner Harbour, and one man who's been at the helm for most of the last 20 years is ready to sail off into the sunset. As Kylie Stanton shows us, he says he knew nothing about sailing when he started, but was totally up for the adventure. There's a couple of rocks over here. I know the names of the rocks. After 19 years navigating everything from harbor hazards to harbor seals. It's very cool. This captain has one piece of advice. Life is never over, and, and not, opportunity is always knocking, and you can do it. That's exactly what Barry Hobbes told himself back in 2004, as the former RCMP officer faced semi-retirement and was looking for something new. I happen to overhear a conversation between the owner and another person saying, oh, we're thinking of selling the company. At that point, something in my head just went bing, and uh, we took it from there. Hobbes had never been on a boat, let alone know what to do with one, but he learned, taking the Victoria Harbor ferries from just two vessels to a total of 18 and 120 employees. That's what I treasure, is working with those people. But Hobbes is ready to begin charting new waters. I'm 74. I have five children, five grandchildren, and an amazing uh, person I've been married to for a long, long time. His retirement now official after nearly two decades at the helm. And it's time, you know, just uh, us time. Hobbes' departure only adds to the legacy that is the Victoria Harbour Ferries. Its water ballet has become a worldwide phenomenon. We're probably 
well over two or three million people that have seen it. The boats have also served as a literal lifeline for some. Hobbes estimates at least 30 people have been pulled from the water. And of course, there was this guy. This is so fun. Who managed to break into the dock, stealing a ferry. After a low-speed chase by police in a Coast Guard vessel, the boat was safely returned. It took forever, but it was funny. It was so <laughs> funny. But looking back, it's the little things that have had the biggest impact. It's always amazed me the, the faces of the little kids. And he's confident the company is in good hands as he gets ready to sail into the sunset. Well, I'm, I'm proud of it. And um, so I'm happy. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Uh, salute to the captain. Well done, Barry. I didn't know they were called pickle boats. Although, yes. Me neither. Yeah, that surprised a lot of us when we heard that <laughs> uh, at the story pitch. There's yeah. a lot of things with pickle. Pickle ball, pickle boats. All of them. Pickles. We're in a pickle. <laughs> Very popular. <laughs> I, I was just telling these guys, I did get wedding photos on the pickle boat. Well. That didn't. Maybe that didn't go over. <laughs> I that still didn't have go over so well. I still have the picture. Yeah. It was a good memory. The marriage sank, <laughs> not the boat. Oh, that's good. I'll send him this clip. That's a good line. <laughs> okay. He's good natured. No, he's Mallory. totally fine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Final word on let's just change the subject now. <laughs> Final word on the weather, Christy. All right. Yeah. Hi, Jason, by the way, if you're watching. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you guys. Uh, <laughs> okay, so periods of rain on and off. I think we'll see some breaks in the clouds, certainly. But again, it's the winds that we're mostly concerned about with that mild day. Those winds will pick up later in the day, especially through the evening hours. Power outages are certainly possible. All right. Thank you very much, Christy. And thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night. Good night, all. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.